Welcome to I Communicate on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. To join the conversation, call 508-871-7000. Now, here's your host, Mark Altman. Welcome to I Communicate, the Mindset Goal Radio Show. Great to be back here on a Thursday after, or Thursday morning, I should say. And uh, boy, time's going fast today, apparently, for me. Uh, and I'm, I'm at one of my favorite places with one of my favorite people. Ted, how the heck are you? I'm I, I'm wonderful. I enjoy every moment of the day. I'm grateful for being here with you. Wait a second. Every single moment of the day you enjoy, can we just corroborate that? If, if you had been down some of the trails that I've had to go down, you'd understand why I can enjoy every moment of this day. Well, I love to hear that. That's that's our growth mindset, glass half full approach. Oh, we like that. Yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, the, 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 the glass is so full it's spilling over at this point. Awesome. So, all right, so here's the scoop today. You know, if you'd like to call the show, first of all, if you'd like to call the show, 508-871-7000. What's that number? 508-871-7000. So, look, you know, one of the reasons I love doing I Communicate is because the word communication allows us to really cover a wide range of topics. And one of the things that's going on right now with uh, the pandemic, one of the big changes in communication we're seeing is so many more people are forced to communicate in a virtual way than they've been done in the past. And we know this. We see it in meetings. We see it in leadership. We see it in all kinds of ways. But what we're going to talk about today is we're going to talk about learning and sustained in sustained learning and retention. And the reason why this is so... Wait a minute, wait a minute. Say that again. I don't know if I got all that. Sustained learning and retention. Right. So, okay, so, so here's the scoop, Ted. I'm, I'm going to go right at you today. Ready? Okay. Right. So here's the question. I'm ready. If I had to put you on the spot right now and I said to you, when you were in grade school, we'll say K through 12, tell me two things off the top of your head that you learned in grade school that you remembered this day. Well, you're going to hate me for saying this, but we used to call it grammar school. Okay. And I picked up a lot of really good grammar during those years. Okay. And give me one more. That's a great answer. And one more. Um, a proper disdain for theory over mythology. Oh, don't get all intellectual. Oh, I'm what sorry. Are you doing? I mean, that's one of the things I learned in religious school is that uh, things like uh, Darwin, that's theory. Yeah. Um, mythology is based on history, and we all know that uh, the winners change history as they see fit. Okay. But- so, so, so would you acknowledge that most people, not everybody— But many people, the two skills that are kind of standard you pick up in grade school is some form of math, arithmetic, how to add, subtract, multiply, divide. And probably the other one is grammar, like, you know, reading, writing, you know, those kinds of subject matters, so to speak. Uh, Yeah, I I would agree with exactly what you're saying. Okay. And so my point is those two things tend to be retained. Why? Because we use them so much. Right. So there's a practice, there's a repetition, there's an applicability, right, that goes into those topics. Right, right. When you get to uh, senior high school, you realize, oh, algebra, I could use that on a construction job. <laughs> exactly. So so here's what got me thinking about, and this is this is a subject we're going to cover. We're going to do a three-part series on this, and today is part one. And what got me thinking, Ted, is I have a really large client Um, a national organization that has asked me, I've done a lot of in-person training for them the past two years. And they've asked me to 
totally change the curriculum and reposition it to virtual online learning. Well, that's a personal challenge. Well, and what's great about it is they have hired uh, an LMS, a learning management system company, who's who's customizing this learning. So I'm having a big role in having this designed exactly the way I want it designed. Dare I say you're the project manager? I, well, don't put me in that high responsibility because that's going to fall on its face. But kind of, yes, kind of. I understand. So we had a discussion this morning, and the discussion was about quizzes and tests. And so we're talking about it, and, I'm, and already my baggage is popping up from school. Because this is, this is what I did in school, and maybe I'm being presumptuous to think this is what I felt like a lot of people do in school, but tell me if this sounds familiar. Tell me if this process sounds familiar. Teacher teaches, student takes notes, Student may read a chapter or whatever correlating readings go with those teachings. Student goes home and theoretically is studying their notes that they took. And by the way, this doesn't even get into my pet peeve of you're never even taught how to take notes effectively in school. So whatever notes you're taking aren't even necessarily good in the first place, but that's for another show. So you come home, you look at your notes, you reread the chapter, you do all the things that you learned about in school. Then you go to school, you take a test or a quiz, you theoretically pass that test or quiz, and we move on to the next thing. And so I thought to myself, how much much of the information, if you had to recall what you actually learned a month later, a week later, how much of that information do you actually retain? And more importantly, forget about retain, how about do you actually care enough about to even attempt to retain. And that is why we're going to talk today about alternative methods and more effective methods of learning, sustaining learning and retention. Because, Ted, I am just not a believer that tests and quiz, tests and quizzes, and I'm not even talking about just in school. I'm talking about people take these online e-learning courses with these procedural quizzes at the end in these checkboxes. I'm like, what do you... What is that even doing? Like, are you motivated once you've learned and passed your test to actually care about using this stuff? Well, one of the things that we were taught in the 70s and 80s going from high school to college was to learn the binge purge um, methodology of passing the exam, uh, qualifying for the next uh, bit that the teacher would offer, the professor would offer, if you you got to qualify in the in the classroom sometimes and speaking out and raising your hand and uh, but yeah, the binge purge method was really uh, it, it, that was the only thing we were taught. I was never taught how to balance a checkbook. I was never taught how to utilize basic mathematical things to figure out stock tickers. You know, uh, but. They did teach us how to binge purge knowledge. Well, and what's interesting, you you made me think of something when you said that, because let's talk about the role of participation plays, the role participation plays in learning, right? So if you're sitting there and you're in a class, and I don't care whether you're interested in the subject matter or not, but if you are in a learning environment, if you participate, proactively participate, your chance of sustaining and learning that information is so much higher. But if you create that hierarchy where I'm the student, you're the teacher, teach me, and just I'll just 
you know, absorb all this information. Yeah, the old, work. Uh, what is that? Osmos, obs, obmo, osmosis. osmosis. Thank right. you. The old osmosis method. Right. I, I was lucky when I was a kid. I had a, 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 a great school. I went to the American Community School of Beirut. And our oh. teachers were uh, fixed on once they taught you something, they made you use it. Uh, and on top of that, they would make you use it and show it to another member of the class. Every student went through this. Now, we were lucky. There was maybe seven kids in each class. But, you know, the teachers had that kind of flexibility to use the time that way. But that's the, uh, I would call it the Socratic method, where when you are taught something, if you don't immediately use it in the environment in which you exist, it will be gone. Right. Well, and, you know, we, we hear all the time statistics now about with email, like people only will look at an email for seven seconds and make a snap decision on whether right, they're going right. to continue reading it. So and Only if there's a, a visual. If there's no visual with the email, well, then forget it. Right. So, 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 so here's, here's what I was thinking, right? So the interaction I had with this LMS executive this morning was this. I submitted my test, my post-test and pre-test questions. And so he said, geez, Mark, I notice that most of your questions are open-ended questions. And typically in tests like this, they're typically, you know, multiple choice, true, false, so on and so forth. And I said, here's the thing about multiple choice and true, false. To me, if you generally pay attention to the class you're in and you absorb even part of the information, you can navigate your way through multiple choice and true, false. With open-ended questions, it really requires you to pay close attention. And, and i got to tell you, Ted, one of my biggest pet peeves around being an educator is this concept of putting people on the spot. And when I teach, especially when I teach virtually, you know that when I walk into a virtual environment, this is what I'm up against. Before I've even interacted with one person, this is what I'm up against. What, what do people have going on behind the scenes while I'm teaching? Do they have their computer so they're checking their email? Do they have their phone in front of them? Are they even interested in the topic? So there's a series of distractions that I'm going to have to contend with before I even start teaching. So what I do when I teach, knowing that people are easily distracted, knowing that people have this Zoom exhaustion concept and they're on video all day, what I do is throughout the training – I will do activities where I'll let people know that they could be called on at any moment to give feedback or to give their opinion. So like a lot of times if you're in a group environment in person and you see a circle of people, if you were to go, Ted, and you were to take a turn doing an activity or role play, I might call on the person next to you and say, what did you think of that? Did you give Ted feedback? Got it. But I don't let people know what the order is and when they're going to be called on. So I find one of my challenges as a teacher is I have to find multiple different ways to keep these people engaged and interactive because otherwise they can, they can hide all the distractions where if it's in person and I can see everything going on, you can't do that. Can we talk it, talk, can we label this as the edge of the seat Oh, I like theory? that. Yes, I like that. I, I, I really yeah. like that because there's some scientific knowledge in what you're saying if if you can engage someone to the point where they're leaning into it then you're going to have a better chance of them retaining it agreed 
and no, that's a great point. And so, so, so the point of the point I want to make, and this is why I want to why I want to kick off the show today with this concept of test taking and quiz taking being a reliable form of learning is this: if you think about it, right? If you were as a parent, or all the parents that are listening to this show, let's say the superintendent of schools in your school district calls you and said, "Hey." We've realized this this test-taking, quiz-taking strategy is not really sustaining learning. We want to look into other options. What do you think? What should we do differently? How do we get people to actually learn and sustain this information? I think most parents would agree that test-taking and quiz-taking isn't necessarily ideal, but I don't know that they'd have a lot of other suggestions on how to do it differently. Well, they're not educators, number one, and they are always looking to someone else to formulate a curriculum for their children. Well, and, and you know what it is, Ted? It's That's a good point. And it's also, there's a lot of expectations people have as an adult learner, all right? And when we come back from our, from our first segment, we come back for our next segment, we're going to talk about a lot of expectations people have as an adult learner. What are some alternative methods to quizzes and tests to sustain learning? And we'll continue this discussion. So for the I Communicate radio show, I'm Mark Altman. We'll be back after the break. Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to I Communicate. Glad to be with you here this morning and want to continue our discussion on uh, continuous learning and retention. And uh, it is really a difficult topic because ultimately in corporate America, uh, there there tends to be what I call a checkbox uh approach. And the checkbox approach is we want to offer our employees learning and development. We want it to be a perk. We want it to be a part of our employee engagement strategy. And so, you know, there's this mindset of, hey, we're, we're facilitating these opportunities for our employees. So we're doing our job. We're doing something nice. And guess what? You are. It is nice. It is nice to facilitate opportunities for professional development and learning for your teams and and staff and leaders and executives. It's a wonderful thing. But the question is, what do you want from it? You know, there, there are interactions where I'll have with clients that I coach where they'll come to a session and I'll, I'll help them become self-aware of some behaviors and strategies and habits they need to change. And so one of the things I say at the end of these sessions is, listen, what's your approach going to be to, because I know now that you've learned this and become aware of it, what's your approach to going to be to change and replace the habit. And the thing is, is think about this. If I'm talking to a 40-year-old man or woman, it doesn't even matter, and they've become aware that uh, maybe their expectations are unrealistic for their team, well, they might now go, oh, you know what? I have been doing that. You're right. But if that's what they've been doing their whole career, it's not like they go back to work that day and press a button and now they stop having expectations of their team. It doesn't, it doesn't happen like a coin flip. And so this is, this, when I say continuous learning, I mean that once you become aware of a new piece of knowledge, 
The question is, what do you want to do with that piece of knowledge? Now, I talk about, I make a joke, and this has nothing to do with in-person or virtual training. I make a joke when I, when I train people, and, and when an in-person scenario, I see them furiously taking notes, writing down all these things that I said. I'm getting all this self-esteem built up because apparently I'm so important, and all this wisdom I'm imparting on these people, they're writing it down, and they're all excited and whatever. And I look at them, Ted, and I go, listen, I, I really appreciate the fact that you really value this information I'm teaching you, but you know what? I'm just curious, when this session ends, what are you going to do with your notes? What's going to happen with all your notes? Because this is the problem. People value learning and people value information. But once you've obtained and processed the information, what do you do with it? If you are a salesperson, and then Ted, I want to ask you this. If you are a salesperson, okay, and I'll give you a perfect example at close One of the questions I tell people that you have to ask in a sales presentation, come hell or high water, is aside from pricing, what are your most important decision-making criteria that are going to allow you to make this decision? So let's say I teach you that. You weren't doing it. And you're like, oh, my God, Mark, that's fantastic. I, I definitely want to ask that question in the future. But how? How you learned it, but how are you going to incorporate it into your process? got to be rehearsal. I mean, there's no other way to do it other than learning through rehearsal and role play and execution. One of my favorite closes is to go to somebody and say, look, this is my first day and I'd really like you to help me if I've said something incorrect to you. My solution is X, Y, Z. The cost is Y, Z, X. Can we move forward? And if we can't, I need you to tell me. It's you know this is the first time I've been through this, and I I'd like to know. I actually like how you said can't, and you know I just want to comment that it's like the Canadian people who say process. Like I really like when the Canadians you know use words differently. Yeah, like the that. other one is uh, it's in the bag, man. Yeah. <laughs> so listen, so so you brought up Ted, you brought up practice, and this happens to be. There's a couple of concepts around practice that are really near and dear to me and that I think so many people miss out on these concepts. So this, this, I was interviewing someone who wanted to hire me as a coach the other day, and I said to them at the end of the call, I said, listen, I, I don't want to coach you unless you're going to commit to practicing in between sessions what you're learning. And she said, oh, I do. I already do practice what I learn. And I said, tell me about that. Tell me, what does that practice process look like? And this is what she said. She said, well, so I practice by myself. And so when I'm learning about a communication technique or a networking technique or a sales technique, I practice by myself. And I said, so just for curiosity, um, how do you do? What's your assessment of yourself when you practice? And she goes, oh, I didn't really think of that. I guess it's kind of hard to assess yourself when you're practicing by yourself. So I said, look, here's the problem. You find me one human being who tells me that A, they enjoy practicing by themselves, B, are motivated to practice by themselves, and C, can properly assess their ability and how well they're doing, I'll find you a hundred that will say, yeah, there's no way in hell I can practice by myself or I'm motivated to do so. There's an ancient poem that everybody's familiar with, and it starts with these two words, mirror, mirror, 
So, so my, my, when I work with organizations and even individuals, one of the points I make is if you want to do continuous learning, you have to have what I call an accountability partner. And the accountability partner is someone you are going to practice with. And by the way, you don't have to work on the same skills. So for instance, Ted, if I said to you, I'm going to teach you how to start a conversation, an engaging conversation in a networking environment. Well, if you practice with a friend of yours, well, they may not not have the knowledge or skill set to give you feedback to know if you're doing it properly. So what I do is I actually give them, you know, how to do it better. And then I give them a template for their friend to know how to evaluate and guide you in what you're actually looking for. And so... Continuous learning has to incorporate scheduled joint practice for it to be effective. And for instance, when I go in and I do month-long, or excuse me, year-long training programs where I'll do one training for a month in a company, well, think about it. If I'm coming in once a month, then the next time I see you, a month will have gone by. And when I, when, and when I refresh and say, okay, so tell me how you did in the last month. Well, if they haven't practiced, then all they had was an hour and a half of education and the likelihood that they've retained and actually are successfully applying the information is slim and none. So that's the tricky thing about practice. It's one thing to have a teacher, a trainer, a coach, or whatever. It's another thing to actually establish a plan, a practice and repetition plan, where if it's a professional development scenario, you know, you have to build in the time. In the same way you're going to allot two hours for a training, you have to build into your schedule, put on your schedule three o'clock to four o'clock, two days a week or every other day or every day of the week, time to practice because it takes so long to learn a skill. And, and, and this is what's, what's interesting is we go to school, especially if you go to college, between kindergarten and college, we go to school for 17 years to learn skills. And then if you're in an English class, your freshman year of high school, you're having one year of repetitive learning to learn these skills. So look, practice is a huge aspect. Organized, staged practice with an accountability partner. They know how to assess you. You know what you need to practice. You know what your goals and objectives are. That's what it's all about. And that, that without that element, you can have the best teacher in the world and you're not going to be able to further your progress unless you are so uniquely and incredibly self-motivated. Okay. My friend and producer is telling me we need to get ready for our third segment. So listen, when we come back from the break, we're going to talk more about motivation around learning and retention and what are some different things you can, you can use to motivate yourself you can use to motivate others that you're trying to have habits changed and, and learning retained. So for Mark Altman, this is I Communicate. We'll be back right after the break.
Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to I Communicate. And uh, I, I just, I just want to, you know, we, we talk about wellness and emotional intelligence on this show from time to time. And I just want to share a big step I took for my own emotional intelligence and well-being. And that step is that I've decided to stop watching the Red Sox because they are totally bringing me down emotionally. And so I'm focusing all my efforts on the Celtics and Bruins. And for those of our national listeners, listen, I know you may not be, you know, Boston sports fans, but I, if, you, if you need motivation and confidence, please watch the Celtics and Bruins. If you want to steer clear of depression, do not watch the Red Sox. That's, oh. that's, that's my best recommendation for you. Okay, all kidding aside, so, so, so Ted, uh, there's a comedian that I absolutely love. His name is Brian Regan. Have you ever heard of him? Brian Regan. I, you know, it does sound familiar, but it's, I'm not getting a picture. Okay, so Ted, after the show today, I'm going to send you one of his three-minute clips he does on staying in a hotel or, or registering in a hotel. It is absolutely going to fall over. It's that funny. But in any event, okay. Brian Regan has this line when he starts one of his routines, and he, he walks out on stage and he goes, he starts, you know, saying, hey, it's good to see everybody in these pleasantries. And then he goes, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, forget all the pleasantries. I'm here. I paid good money for jokes, and they better be good. And so, so it, 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 it makes me laugh because I think of that's, that's what it's like when you're a teacher or a trainer. You know, you walk out. You've got 90 minutes to impress people enough to think that you were worthy of their time. And one of the challenges, I think— when it comes to learning retention and continuous learning to address this is quantity versus quality. So for, for instance, if I tell a company that they'll say, okay, you're going to do a two-hour training on improved communication, right? And then like, what are, what are we going to talk about? Well, I might send them two bullets, you know, of topics that we're going to talk about. And then they look at me sometimes and be like, well, that's it? Like, is that all they're really going to get out of that too? And I said, well, I can put in five and we can, if we have two hours, I can talk about five bullets for short periods of time, or we can talk about two bullets and really learn a skill and really focus on how to learn and apply the skill. And, you know, one of the enemies to me uh, of, of learning is one, expectations, and two, time. So when I think about expectations, I always, in the very beginning when, I, when I'm teaching something, I actually will ask the room. I'll say, what are your expectations today? I said, and I actually say it this way, Ted. I say, I want you to be selfish and I want you to be demanding. I want you to sit in here and be very clear because I don't mind if people have high expectations as long as I know what they are and whether I can actually meet them or not. So I encourage people to be selfish and demanding when when they have expectations of me. The second thing is when it comes to quantity versus quality, Think about anything you've learned in your life. Ted, what's the last thing? If you stop and think for a minute, what's the last time you've learned something new? What was it? Tell me something you've learned in the last two, three, four years that was new you didn't know how to do. Uh, I actually learned how to play the violin a couple of days ago. Wow. I mean, I hadn't played it since I was a boy. Wow. But but uh, I have a... a mandolin and the mandolin is very similar to a violin so I was able to get the fingering but yeah I kind of stink right now by the way a mandolin I Bruce Hornsby 
Uh, Bruce Hornsby in the range play the mandolin, which I love. But I just it's such a beautiful instrument. And I tried playing violin in fifth grade, and my parents were trying to figure out how to politely tell me I sucked. So it was one of these things where I would like play it at home, and right, then right. like you, like when they covered their ears, you oh, would have thought oh, yeah. that would have been the clue. But oh, oh. as a child, I was sure that the source of most domestic murders had to do with a violin. <laughs> Oh my God, that's such a great line, Ted. Oh my God, I love you. Okay, so back. So so here's here's the point, right? So think about something you've learned. You're listening to this show today. Think. So Ted said he did violin when he was a kid. He recently picked it up again a f- couple of days. So does Ted know how to play the violin after picking it up a little while the other day? No, but. He, he has a general understanding, and so now Ted has to make a decision. Am I really passionate about this? Do I really want to make the time to do it? And that's where I want to go next, right? Because having clear expectations, um, articulating those expectations, being very clear about quantity versus quality and what your goals are, this is a big one. And so the way I handle this when people are learning is, let's say I'm, I'm, job inter- I'm doing a job interview with someone. I will ask them about a specific skill. And let's say I'm interviewing um, a, uh, a customer service person. And the customer service person says, you know what my weakness in customer service is? I need to, be lear- I need to learn how to be more patient with, with angry customers. Okay, so let's say they say that. So here's the question I'll typically ask them next. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'll say, is that a skill you want to learn? Is that a skill you need to learn? Or is that a skill you feel like you have to learn, right? Because here's the difference between the three. The need and the have to is this. If it's a need, you might be giving yourself a message that you can't be successful without having that skill. It may not be true. You could be very successful with that skill, but you've told yourself, I can't elevate to a certain leadership position, to a certain point of career growth, unless I have that specific skill. If you feel like you have to learn it, then there's a good chance someone has communicated to you, a coach, a recruiter, a former boss, that you can't get to where you want to go unless you learn that skill. And I can tell you point blank that your answer to that question is going to totally tell me your willingness and openness to learning that skill. Because if it's a have to, I, I stop my kids all the time because it's a mindset thing. If, if my son playing sports, my 13-year-old says, yeah, I got to get better at dribbling. Well, you have to or you want to? Because if you tell yourself that you have to, it becomes a burden, it becomes a chore, and it becomes forced upon you. Extra even if, baggage. Right? Extra baggage. And by the way, forced upon you can be you yourself forcing it upon you. It doesn't even have to be someone else forcing it upon you. So, so the thing about learning is... If you have that want to, have to, need to mindset, it's how you talk to yourself. That is going to play a big role. Now, I've got a six-part sales training coming up with this organization. And one of the first things, the first half hour of the training, what I do is I get all the baggage out there. And, And literally, Ted, this is what I'll do. I'll go, okay, raise your hand if you're forced to be here today. If you've been told hey, you know what, Ted, you could really use some more training in that area. You need to go to that. Raise your hand. And so because I know what people are thinking. And so literally 
at least half the group always raises their hand. Okay? And then I'll say, all right, for those of you people who are forced to be here, the question is, why would you want to be here? Forget about they told you you're here now, so let's shift the narrative and change your thought process. Now I want to ask you, why would it be beneficial for you to be here? Right? And so now they stop and think, they stop and think, well, maybe I need to be more self-aware of why I need to be here and the benefits of such. All right, we have a caller, and uh, welcome to the show. Who's on the line? I'm sorry, what's your name? Phil E. from Phil, Amherst. Phil E. Phil, great to have you on the show. What are your thoughts on this topic of learning and retention? Well, I've got, I have some interesting ones, and, you know, truth truth be told, it's a weakness of mine. Um you know, one of the things I do remember, it's funny you brought back grade school and, and things like that. And I remember drills. And this is more of a sports thing where, you know, like like if you're a basketball player, they'll have you dribble around a cone or that aren't necessarily that make it, make it break down into smaller areas uh, of, of excellence rather than you know, playing five on five all the time, they'll have you do little drills. And, and I'm curious is, you know, with what you do, is that something you think is feasible? Um, you know, breaking it down into small things, you know, like say closing, um, you know, how would you break, break it down other than just sending somebody in and say, have at it or, Hey, sell me this, you know, sell me this pen, whatever, you know, whatever it is. Um, you know, breaking it down almost like a sport where you break it down into individual blocks and then at the end you have the finished product and you don't even necessarily know that. Well, Matt, it's actually a great point in thought, really great, because recently there's there's, there's two things that are going on right now that really speak to your point. One of them is I had a pretty large bank approach me about doing some training. And the this was before the pandemic. And the bank said to me, Mark, we've surveyed our employees and they've told us that not only do they prefer online learning, but they prefer like 10 or 15 minute learning bite. We'll call them microbyte learnings, okay? And so I said to them, and, and, and Philly, to speak to your point, I said to the woman who I was speaking with, I said, well, but, but let's hang on a second. When you said you surveyed your employees and that's what they told you they wanted, did they want it because they thought that was the more optimal way to learn? Or did they, lear- did they learn it because it's more convenient for them to fit into their schedule and still check off a box? Philly, we have to go to break. Will you stay on the line and we'll continue Absolutely. this? All right, stay on the line. Yeah. We'll continue this. Yeah. this for I Communicate, this is Mark Altman. We'll be right back. Communicate continues on full service radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to the show. We're going to continue with Philly. I was talking about what he asked regarding, you know, splitting them up into more digestible, like in sports. I thought his example was great. So, Philly, so you just want to finish my thought. So, the real question is, you know, when this woman asked me, 
you know, this is what everybody in the bank wanted. I said, but what's the motivation? If the motivation is to just say they can do it, fit it into their schedule, check a box, then that's not how you want to do it, regardless of the feedback. If the motivation is an on-demand learning, for example, and in the majority of employees at that bank are like, listen, I'm working nine to five. I really want to learn these new skills. I want to do that. Can you make these 30-minute or 10-minute or 15-minute microbytes where I could watch them on the weekend or at nighttime when I'm not distracted? Okay, that's a good approach. Now, I will tell you that there is an organization, I've been a different organization I've been working with who I've been trying these 30-minute microbytes for sales, Philly, like you're talking about. And here's my final thought on this. The real question is not the length. And the length does matter. Don't even go there. The length does matter. What I am saying, though, is whether it's 10 minutes, 30 minutes, two hours, the question is what will you do with the information you learn when it's over? That's the question. The one thing I'll I'll add real quick before I go is is I think the one advantage in small bursts is – attention span. Well, these days we have so many things going on and especially I can speak for myself on this one. We have to, you know, we get distracted easily. We have, you know, a shorter attention spans. And, and that's all I got, Mark. I'll, I'll let you go. Great show as always. But Matt, great point or Philly, thank you for the call. Appreciate it. Okay, we have another caller, Mark. Welcome to the show. Yeah, good morning. Uh, you were talking about uh different uh, te- teaching methods in use today. If you're over the age of 60 years old, okay, and you're an American, over the age of 60, you were taught merit-based critical thought or analysis, number one. And the second method of teaching was by rote. That's how you were taught. Agreed. So in other words, if uh, you you were given a copy of the timetables and you were expected to memorize them, you were given it, you were told to study them and memorize them. And that's what you did. That's how you were taught. That's wrote. And then merit-based analysis was the, uh, um, you, you have any given set of circumstances and you critically analyze the possible outcomes. That's basically what merit-based critical thought analysis was. Neither of those are taught to kids today. Well, Mark. Well, you can see them for yourself. Well, Mark, not only, not only, I think you make some great points, and I have to tell you, I saw a bumper sticker. No, those are facts that I just gave you. Yep. Those are not points. Those are facts. If you're over the age of 60, that's how you were taught. Okay. No, gr- great thought. So, so Mark, I, I can tell you, I saw a bumper sticker about a year ago. It said the new national debt critical thinking. And I, I really laughed because, you know, when I think of how, how if you're over 60, how you were taught, if I look for one area deficiency above all else, above all else, aside from communication skills in today's society, it is critical thinking. People really don't they know. They have none. They are not taught it. Agreed. That's, that's I agree. why they don't know their you-know-what from their elbows. Now, I will say that, however, or not however, period, I agree with you, and I think it's such an enormous problem, and it is not taught. Now, when you talk about memorization, here's the thing. So many things have evolved and changed. Now, things were so different. There were so few distractions. The, the, the world was different. 
So do I think, you know, sending someone home to memorize multiplication tables is an effective way? It is if the discipline is either taught by the parents, uh, taught by the teachers, or self-created. But we're just in a different time, and I feel like so many people have such a sense of anxiety when they're told to memorize something. And I don't care whether it's, it's a script, information for a test, multiplication tables. And so I just think that memorization has to be built into your practice techniques and your repetition when you're learning a new skill. So it needs to be built in, but it can't be the sole Wait, source. Sir, may I end with this? May I end with this? You sure can. Have you, have you ever crossed the Brooklyn Bridge? I have. That was all critical, uh, critical thought and critical analysis. There yep. were no computers. There was nothing. There was a man with a pen, a, a pencil, and a slide rule, and tables. That's that's how that that built was built was built and designed. There was no computers. There was nothing. There was a, a man with critical analysis and tables. That's how that was designed and built. I rest my case. Mark, thanks for the call. Really appreciate you calling the show. And, you know, some final thoughts on this. You know, I I think about, uh, it's interesting the example Mark gives around the Brooklyn Bridge, because when I look at structures today, and I'm not necessarily talking about structures like buildings, I'm talking about things in your house like a countertop or a table or whatever. It seems like, you know, years ago there was so much more craftsmanship craftsmanship effort care that went into these kinds of structures than there you are mean today like attention to detail yes like attention to detail and th- th- it's not about they knew more years ago if anything you could argue they know more now the more technology is expanded but because of the reliance on computers and technology and getting away from as mark described the building of the brooklyn bridge it's it's really kind of sad you know when you think about it but With that said, we do not want to focus on sadness here at the iCommunicate radio show. So, look, there's some takeaways because, like I said, this is a three-part series. And so here's some things I want you to think about today. You know, we talk about micro-learning. And so I really want you, when you're learning a new skill, I want you to think about what Philly said because he talked about attention span. And attention span is a huge factor. We're so easily distracted. And frankly, we're, we're distracted in a virtual or a non-virtual environment. Distraction is not unique to virtual. So I think structuring learning in a way, and, and if you look at schools, okay, let's, let's go back to schools for a minute. Schools typically, the class time length is typically, let's call it about 50 minutes, 5-0. So it's a 50-minute class time length. So those are intended to be micro-learnings. The problem with micro-learnings are, that if you have five straight classes and you can't, you don't even have time to think or process the information in between classes, you're already on to social studies, you're already on to science, you're already on to English, you can't even process what you just learned. And so in a corporate learning environment, I have specific rules that I won't engage with certain clients if I don't feel like my clients are set up to succeed. For instance, before the pandemic, I would never do trainings longer than a half day. I, frankly, a half day is a ton of information to process. But there's still tons of companies that are doing full day trainings. When's the last time as an adult you've walked out of eight hours of learning and haven't been physically, mentally exhausted and worn? And by the way, that's assuming the subject matter is interesting. Let's not even get into the fact if it's not interesting or engaging. 
Well, after eight hours, you can be sure I'm not going to spend a couple of hours reviewing my notes from the day. Great point, Ted. And so this is what I'm trying. This is the mission of, of Mindset Go, and this is how I'm trying to take continuous learning down a different path. For the company who says they want five topics covered in a training, they want it to be X amount of hours, I'm pushing back and I'm saying, look, I've been doing this for a long time. And the way I want you to approach this is, what are your end objective behaviors and habit changes you want to accomplish out of the training? Forget the five bullets. Forget the amount of bullets. Just tell me the end result you're seeking. And instead of it being eight hours, instead of it even being four hours, let me do two hours and then let's build in practice time and then let's build in core competency testing and application. So if I said I'm going to do a session on uh, improving collaboration among leaders, then I'm going to teach you all the requisite knowledge, skills, and information you need to effectively execute these skills and techniques. Then I want you to practice for an hour with partners, and then I want to come back and I want to test you all, and we'll do some activities and role play and have facilitated conversations so you can actually implement and demonstrate what you've learned and that you're comfortable with it. Because at the end of the day, I said it before, what are you doing with the information you learned? You can like it. You can agree with it. I don't care if you like it or agree with it. I want to know what you're going to do with the information. And here's the other huge critical factor with continuous learning. When you get done a learning session, this is my definition of success and ROI. Are you confident, comfortable, ready, willing, and motivated to apply what you just learned? And that's a big mouthful, but let's face it. The reason why people struggle with habit change, the reason why people struggle with New Year's resolutions is because they don't have a plan in place to change the habit. And even if they do, if they're not confident and comfortable to execute it, they're not going to do it. They can be motivated, but maybe they're not confident and comfortable. Hey, if your audience wanted to reach you in between shows, how would they do that? Ted, thanks for asking. The best way to reach me, info at mindsetgo.com or the phone number is 978-206-1535. And listen, the last comment I want to make to everybody today is if you think you, someone in your organization, your team personally need some help, give me a call, shoot me an email, happy to have a conversation, no strings attached. Thank you for tuning into the show. Ted, you're the best. Thank you, as always, for everything you do. I'm Mark Altman for I Communicate. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to I Communicate with your host, Mark Altman. Join us again each week at this time on Full Service Radio, WCRN.